Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Joe, and I pray that you're all doing well during this time. Oh, these are trying times. This is such an interesting situation for us, and uh, it's actually working out okay for me because I'm a homebody, and we homeschool, and so everything is uh, similar to what it would normally be. But I know people right now are, uh, some are suffering with, with work that's been uh, postponed, and, and they're trying to make ends meet. Uh, so this is a, a great time to be the church and to try to take care of our neighbors as, as much as we can while also being safe for them and for us. Well, this is Palm Sunday, and I'm going to try to use podcasts now to keep in touch and to provide you with some, uh, some services and some sermons. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that your hand is upon us, that your blessings are ours. Lord, we thank you that you're bigger than pandemics. You're bigger than this virus. And, and even this virus has a purpose according to your plans. We pray that we would all be safe from this virus. And that anyone we know who have it, we just pray, Lord, that they're healed in the name of Jesus. We pray that this virus would take a turn soon and start to go away. And Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit fill us with your goodness and your purpose. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. All right, Palm Sunday is about the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is seven days before he goes to the cross. We were studying the different ordeals that he had to go through, and of course, we've had to put that on hold. So what I'd like to do is provide this week and next week this triumphal entry, this beginning bookmark of the final week, and then, of course, it'll bring us to the cross and the resurrection the week after. So today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. What I'd like to do to you, if I may, is read verses 1 through 16. And if you want to follow along, it's Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. They read as follows. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. There Jesus sent two of his disciples on hand with these instructions. Go to the village there ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied up with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, tell them the master needs them, and then he will let them go. This happened in order to make true what the prophet Isaiah said. Tell the city of Zion, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble and rides on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did what Jesus told them to do. They brought the donkey and the colt. They threw their cloaks over them, and Jesus got on. A large crowd of people spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds walked in front of Jesus, and those walking behind began to shout, Praise to David's son. God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise be to God. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was thrown in an uproar. Who is he? The people asked. This is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth in Galilee, the crowds answered. Now, this rest of this scripture set talks about the first thing Jesus did upon entering the city. Verse 12 says, Jesus went into the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stools of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, Is it written in the scriptures that God said, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a hideout for thieves? The blind and the crippled came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The chief priests and the teachers of the law became angry when they saw the wonderful things he was doing and the children shouting in the temple, Praise to David's son. So they asked Jesus, Do you hear what they're saying? 
Indeed, I do, answered Jesus. Haven't you ever read the scripture? You have trained children and babes to offer perfect praise. In other words, if a child knows how to praise God, why don't God's chosen leaders do the same? All right, so we see here that Jesus is about to enter the last days of his life. Now, I've actually thought in the past about what I would do if I knew I had, say, a week left to live. And I think a lot of people might fall into this pattern. The first four days, let's say, they'd be petrified. Day five, maybe switching over to extremely saddened. Day six, maybe seeking up for lost opportunities. And then the final day, seeking to say goodbye to loved ones. Well, how did Jesus compare to what many other people might do? These seven days had more activity packed into them than most of us do in a month. All of his activities involved the welfare of those around him, no different than today. He taught daily. He did not seek to win over his opposition, but he continued to seek their hearts and oppose their false doctrines. Jesus loved even those who rejected him and rejected the Father. He didn't miss one opportunity to fulfill God's will for his life, even when it would have been the most opportune time to seek his own. So let's take a closer look at this entrance to the last phase of the plan that God has for our salvation. My first point to you today is the divine approach. Now, the distance between Jericho, which is where he was coming from, according to Matthew chapter 20, and the Mount of Olives is about 19 miles. It's made up of mostly desert, and we see that Jesus strongly believed in teachable moments by offering the parable of the Good Samaritan using this very stretch of desert as the parable's location. We see this in Luke chapter 10. On their way to Jerusalem, they stopped at the Mount of Olives, which is about a half a mile east of the city. Now, we note from Matthew chapter 20, in verse 29, a little bit before our lesson today, that there was already a large crowd following him. In verse 2 of our lesson today, Jesus sent his disciples to the neighboring town to get a donkey. Now, why did Jesus choose a donkey instead of a horse? Was it because he was not the king that the Jewish people thought he would become? This would be true. In addition, though, in that day, horses were mostly reserved for military use and for kings and statesmen. Now, he was not a statesman for sure. He wasn't coming in as a military officer. And there's still that question about what the people thought about him as a king. Now, donkeys were used by common people and by kings and princes to demonstrate peace. Jesus chose the donkey to demonstrate his political allegiance, which is theocracy. It was to the father and his intentions, which was to bring peace to the city. This peace was not to be accomplished by what he said in the upcoming week, but by what he would do. So with the donkey in hand, his disciples covered it with their cloaks. Now, Jesus clearly did not want to give the people the wrong impression regarding why he was entering Jerusalem, and his disciples seemed to understand, we see. Now, the placing of one's cloak onto a donkey or horse was an old Jewish custom of acknowledging one as king or at least is very important. So my second point to you is the divine entrance. The people who are with Jesus followed the disciples' example, and they laid their cloaks on the road in front of Jesus. They all acknowledged that Jesus was who he said he was. They said he was the Son of God in John chapter 18. So this humble one riding a symbol of peace, the donkey, towards the most violent period of his human life, enjoyed a brief blessing by those who recognized his purpose. What's not clear at this point, at least to me, 
is if they believed his purpose of saving them would be a temporal, earthly kingdom, in other words, an, an earthly king, or a sacrificial offering for their sins, which of course it was. Now, some were yelling, Hosanna. This is an exclamation of adoration. This was a similar accolade as the angels gave the night that Jesus was born, way back in Luke chapter 2. Today, we would say, praise God or glory to God. So this is a very high note that Jesus had as he began the final week of his life. Now, at this point, there's a parade of people in front of and following Jesus as he approached the city. They were celebrating his presence and the promise that God had given his people regarding their salvation. And this brings us to the final point. This triumphant procession was continued when he reached the city. Now, there's a lot of noise going outside, a lot of noise of all the people cheering and calling out. And it must have been great because it caught the attention of those who were near the city's entrance. The crowd inside the city was wondering what the crowd outside was so excited about. And, and I think it's just human nature to take on the emotions of those around us, especially when there are so many sharing that emotion. Now, verse 10 says that the city was, I'm going to give you the answer in a bunch of different uh, versions. King James says the city was moved. Now, this is a word that describes the results of an earthquake. The Good News Bible, the ones that we have at church, say the city was thrown into an uproar. The message, this newest version, says the city was shaken. The W-E-B, W-E-B, Webb, that's another literal translation, says that the city was stirred up. And the ISV, the International Standard Version, says they're trembling with excitement. So no matter what version we reference, the arrival of Jesus was a very exciting and curious time. So who is it that caused such a scene? That's the question on their minds. Who entered the city that day? Well, was it a teacher? Was it a prophet? If you remember from our lesson today, verse 11 called him a prophet. Did a king enter? Was it a politician or a troublemaker, perhaps a rebel? It's possible that each of these labels might have been attached to Jesus that day. One thing is for sure, though, in a very loud crowd of people were at least momentarily in awe of his arrival. What was his first order of business, according to Matthew? Well, it was not to make a grand speech or accept lofty accolades, but to purge his father's house of secular business and profiteering. The money changers were those who had exchanged the Roman coins used for the required half a shekel needed, according to the law, for a tribute to the service at the temple. Now, the seats of those who sold doves were those who sold doves for sacrifices. These items were needed in order to satisfy the law, but the location of their availability in the temple was an abomination to their God and a terrible misuse of the holy place. Jesus reminded the people that God had ordained the place where his presence would be, this is the temple, as a holy place for prayer, worship, and dedication to him. But instead, they used it for profit and selfish gain. Well, let's conclude. Jesus was true to his nature even here. After purging the temple of what we would call riffraff and sinful activities, he did what God does. He loved and healed the people. The disciples were concerned that the chief priests and teachers of the law were angry with Jesus' actions and the shouts of glory from the people in the temple. They thought that Jesus should have rebuked them directly, but instead he referred to Psalm 8 and verse 2. 
he volleyed a stinging rebuke from their own scriptures that children know how to praise God. Again, as I said in the very beginning, if a child can praise God, why can't a chosen leader do that? And that's what was missing in the hearts of the religious leaders. Jesus was very busy at the beginning of his final week. He was focused on his ministry to the poor and the sick and his ultimate purpose of removing our sins. Jesus began to prepare the way for his sacrifice amidst the throngs of the crowd and the intensity of his ministry. He entered Jerusalem to begin the final stage of our salvation on the day that the Paschal lamb was being selected for sacrifice at Passover just a few days ahead. The Paschal lamb was one that was chosen, a lamb unblemished, and that lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. So while one lamb would be sacrificed for the people for that Passover, the lamb of God would be sacrificed for all humanity. And so I give you today on Palm Sunday the fact that the Savior had arrived. All right, I know this is a lot shorter than what normally would occur on a Sunday morning, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to join me as we study in the Word of God. I pray that you are blessed. I pray that you are staying safe. And I pray that we are together soon. Take care, my friends. God bless you.